Good evening, everybody. It's really nice to be here. And at the very at the very start of this tonight, I just want to say, um, so my name is Mark, and I belong to Second Brescian Presbyterian Church, which obviously, <coughs> excuse me, there's a bit of a connection at the moment because your minister, the Reverend Philip, is looking after us over in um, in Brescian, and that's just been that's just been brilliant. And I think I speak for everybody in Brescian when I say how thankful we have been for the way that he has the way that he has led us. Um, we, 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 we just really love him. So um, you're very blessed to, to have Philip. Um, on, on some evenings, my wife Denise has asked me to stop talking about uh, Philip. Um, so that's just how much he's been appreciated um, over with us. Um, so it's really nice to be here tonight. Um, and also David was with us this morning. So we've sort of done a, this is the, the, the other leg, the, the other way around. Um, so it was really, it, it's really nice to be here. Um, I feel, I feel that it's, it's, the, it's the day for me to make a confession when there are some members of the Preston family here, and that is that there's a deep, a very deep, dark secret that I've been holding for about 37 years, I reckon, and it's that many, a long time ago, I think, when the Preston family were away on holidays and my mum and dad were asked to, to look after the manse, um, I may have, in fact, it's the time to admit it, I did feed the fish with washing powder. <laughs> and um, and I, I'm not sure if it was a, uh, a double or a treble homicide, I don't know what it was, but I feel like, I feel like now that I'm here in Connor, it's the time to come clean and say I was responsible for that dreadful event in Connor Mance many, many years ago. So there we are. Right, and my conscience now, conscience now is, is a little bit clearer. I want to say thank you to all the young people who have taken part tonight. And you, you've, you've led us in worship so well. I mean, we could give you a round of applause, but it's been more than that. It's been more than, um, than you just being at the front here and, and, and performing or, or speaking. You've been leading us in worship, and we've really appreciated that. And I, I think I can maybe speak for everybody in saying that we've all appreciated that tonight. So thank you so much, and to the leaders who've, who've put so much into that. Um, thank you to the guys who read from Scripture. It's, we want to turn to a Bible passage now that's been, it's been on my mind for a wee while. It's a passage that I read um, a good number of months ago, and there's a, there's a little verse in it that just absolutely stuns and amazes me. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to have a wee, a wee look at it now, and it's, um, we're going to focus particularly on this idea of Jesus walking through a crowd. Jesus walks through a crowd <clears throat> in, in the passage that we heard from Luke. But we want to try and unpack a wee bit about how we get to that moment when Jesus walks through the crowd. Um, and then we want to go on to think about what that maybe has to say to us or to ask about us. So hopefully there's going to be something in this for younger folks and for the older folks and for everybody who's here tonight um, as we have a wee look at this. I don't know if any of you um, have ever known anybody or grown up with anybody who went on to achieve big, big things. Maybe you went to school or college or you lived in the same village or town as someone who went on to become maybe <clears throat> a celebrated business person, a, a famous sports person, or maybe a news or a radio presenter. I know where I, where I work and, and teach in Collybacky, one of, their, one of their, their big heroes is Stephen Davis, who, who grew up in Collybacky and went on to lead um, and, and, and um, captain the Northern Ireland football team. He's still doing it. So that, that's this is one example of a, a local area where somebody has, has, has really risen to a position of, of a really brilliant uh, 
uh, reputation. Um, nowadays, it might be, and for you guys, maybe, I don't know if any of you guys are what's known as social media influencers. These people seem to be very, these, seem, these people have really come to the fore in recent years. Now, I've dabbled a little bit in the dark arts of TikTok, and I've discovered that people can, can just have thousands upon thousands of followers on social media to the point where they actually become celebrities. And it's hard to know how to react with people that you, you know really well, you've grown up with, they're maybe in your class, they're maybe in your, in your, 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 your friendship group at university or whatever it is, and they're kind of these celebrities, and because they've got all these followers, they've now started to get free tickets for this restaurant and that cafe, and they get their nails done a particular way, so now, L'Oreal, would that be? No? I don't know. I don't know who does nails. Remington, maybe. No, that's hair things. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Companies might send these things, and, and, and it's hard to know sometimes how to react or respond to somebody who you've known really well, and they've come to some kind of prominence. They can be celebrated, they can be appreciated, or the reverse of that is they can be rejected and you can become jealous of them. Um, and, and the responses to that can be very mixed. I, I used to, I'm not a big boxing fan now, but I used to be a wee bit interested in it, and there's, I'm sure you've all heard of Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali started off uh, in his boxing career as Cassius Clay, and in 1960, he won the gold medal in Rome. But whenever he returned home to his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, he kind of thought that he'd be welcomed and celebrated by everybody there as the representative from, from the USA who went and won, uh, and won the gold medal. But he went into the cafe and he couldn't buy a burger and a cook because of the color of his skin. And so in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, even though he was the champion and he was representing the United States, he was only welcomed by some in his hometown. And so the story goes that he threw his gold medal away. I don't know if that's true or not. The passage that we've been reading tonight gives us a glimpse of what it was like for Jesus as he came to his hometown of Nazareth. It comes just after Jesus has been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And, and then, having absorbed all of this pressure, he started to go out on a bit of an offensive, um, a bit of offense of his own. And he started to explain who he is and what he's been called to do. He's been warmly welcomed in Galilee, and he's performed amazing miracles all around the place, and he's built this incredible reputation People everywhere have been talking about Jesus, but now when he returns to his hometown, it's a bit different. And he knows that winning the home crowd in Nazareth isn't going to be straightforward. In fact, it's not even a priority. He doesn't feel he needs to go there to win the crowd. This is Nazareth where he grew up, where he attended worship. He's Joseph's son, and everybody knows the family. They know the business. They've seen Jesus around their, their, their synagogue, the church, as he's grown up. But now he's coming with a very different kind of a tone and a different mission. He's explaining who he is and what his task is. And he reads to them. And this is where we want to explore the first question that I have tonight, which is, who is Jesus? And in verses 18 and 19, if you want to just flick that up, you'll see what Jesus read. He read, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you look at verse 21, it says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So here's Jesus saying, the Spirit is on me. I've been anointed by God. I'm the Son of God. I'm the one who has come to provide freedom, liberty to all people. I'm the one who's come to create a way for people to be reunited to God and to be freed from their sins. I am that one. I am Jesus. And in Nazareth, they seem to be okay with this to begin with, but I think it's only because they're waiting for the magic tricks to begin. And like, great, great Jesus, right, let's go, come on. Show us the things that you've been showing them and all these other places that you've gone to, the things that have made you so famous, the miracles, the healing. But then Jesus goes on to say, now, remember that Elijah didn't go to provide for all of the widows in Israel whenever there was the famine? And Elisha, he wasn't sent out to all of the lepers in Israel, but he was sent to Naaman. Just because I'm in my hometown doesn't mean that I'm going to come here and perform miracles for you. And he went on, to, he explained this to them, and he explained that God's love and God's forgiveness is for the foreigners, the Gentiles, Israel's enemies, and it's for everybody. So what was the response to Jesus then? And that's maybe just on our next slide there. Um, the response to Jesus in verses 28 and 29, well, the response was anger, and fury, jealousy. Let's read what it says, 28 and 29. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. The crowd are so appalled to this. It seems to me, whenever I read this passage, that this is a crowd who really want, like, the magical goody-goodies of this man from their own town, but they want it without the heart to believe his message. They just can't stomach this, that God's rescue plan is for everybody. It's not just for the Jews, and so chaos erupts and they become a mob and they drive him out of the town. He's returned to his hometown, but he's being driven out. Not only driven out, he's being driven out to be killed. He's been taken to the edge of a cliff, taken up onto a hill to the cliff to be murdered, and their plan was to throw him off the cliff. But as we're going to see in a wee moment, that didn't quite work as they had intended that it would. Because the next question that we ask is, what does Jesus do? And if you look at this little verse, verse 30, and this is the verse that I was talking about at the very beginning, I love this little verse. It's so understated. It's so quiet. It's just tucked away at the bottom of this passage, but it's massive. It says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Full stop. Now, to me, that should be highlighted. It should be in some massive font. There should be exclamation marks at the end of it. There should be incredible music playing in the background. This verse is huge. A crowd has taken Jesus to the cliff. They're about to throw him off. But he just walked through the crowd and went on his way. I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful. How on earth did it happen? 
one man being thrown off a cliff by a crowd of angry, angry people, you, you don't just escape. You can't overpower an entire crowd. So what happened? Well, who knows? Did he become like a spirit? Were they trying to grab him and their arms just went through him or something? I don't know. Did they all just become blind all of a sudden? Because that wouldn't be completely out of keeping with other events in Scripture. Maybe they com became completely confused. Like, like in the Old Testament, armies were sometimes confused. and They didn't know what was happening and, and chaos just broke out. So did he cause them all to be confused? I don't know, but one way or the other, Jesus calmly walked through the crowd and they could not touch him. It's amazing. If we, if we flick over now very briefly to that other passage that was read from Hebrews, we're given this majestic picture of why this kind of thing can happen. Why is Jesus able to just walk through an aggressive, chaotic crowd and just go on his way? Well, here's why. Because here's what it says in Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Through him he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So there you go. That's the power of Jesus. He was there at creation. He put the universe into existence. So, of course, he can just walk through a crowd and go on his way. He is incredibly powerful, and he is completely in control. He cannot be overpowered. I love that little verse. I love the fact that he was taken to a hill to be killed, but he just walked away because he cannot be overpowered. So what does that have to say to us this evening? There's a couple of things that I just want to pull out of this for us to learn, for us to take away tonight. And the first is this, you can't kill Jesus. You can't just kill Jesus. It's not as simple as that. And we all know that in the Bible, Jesus was killed. But it's not as simple as saying that you can just kill Jesus. Whether you're an individual or an organization or a government or a nation, you can't kill Jesus. You can't shut him down. When these people took him to the cliff and tried to kill him, he just moved away. Jesus will go wherever he wants to go, and he'll move through the world as he pleases. It's a really popular idea nowadays, the idea that God is dead, and the new atheist movement really declares this. The Bible is just a book. It's a bit of history, but it's mostly myth. And actually, this Jesus character Maybe he existed, he most likely did exist, but he was just a good guy. The Bible is irrelevant. Jesus is irrelevant to modern life. He should be ignored. 
Schools and colleges are full of all of this kind of thinking. But Jesus can't be killed. Jesus cannot be shut down. He will continue to move. And we've seen it happen all over the world, time and time again. In nations where there have been the biggest movements to shut down the message of Jesus Christ, the church has expanded in amazing ways. The center of Christianity has been in Africa, America, Europe, China, the Middle East. Christianity is a worldwide thing because you can't shut down Jesus. Jesus was there at creation. He is the maker. He is God. He can't be overpowered. He can't be thrown off a cliff. And he can't be shut down or forgotten now either. This crowd intended to kill him, but they couldn't. Of course they couldn't. And this is so important because sometimes when people read about Jesus, they read too simply. And they see that Jesus was crucified by an angry mob, a crowd, a crowd that wanted him dead. They read that he wasn't much of a savior because he was overpowered by this angry crowd of people who stood and looked up at the cross and said, come down and save yourself if you're so powerful. But this passage proves to us that he's not being overpowered in the Easter story. He's actually willingly cooperating to make a way for these same people to be forgiven and to create a way for them to be with God. See, there's a big difference between this walk that Jesus has done through the crowd and the other walk that Jesus has done through the crowd. Let's have a look at those now just. That in this passage in Luke, Jesus has walked through the crowd away from his death. But then when we get to the story of Easter, we realize that Jesus willingly walks through a crowd towards his death. He's not overpowered because we know now from Luke 4 that he can't be overpowered by an angry crowd. But now we see him walking through that crowd willingly to die for us. When it was the right time, he walked through the crowd who were spitting and jeering and he walked to his own death. So as we mull all of this over this evening, the question then that I have for you is, what's your response going to be? Are you going to reject Jesus? Are you part of the crowd that's trying to throw him over the cliff? Are you just really turned off by the whole thing? And maybe it's not you. Maybe you identify and you know people who you're studying with or who you work with who think this way. There are people out there who are rejecting Jesus every day, actively trying to shut it down. He's irrelevant. So that's one response. But Jesus will continue to move. So as Christians, we should not stop praying for people and asking Jesus to work in their lives to transform them. What's your response going to be? Maybe your response is that you have accepted him. And that's brilliant. But here's my challenge to you tonight is accept him. And don't expect the miraculous things. I think those people in Nazareth were waiting for the magic tricks. Don't expect those things. Know by reading the word of God that Jesus really is 
who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He's the rescuer. He's our Savior. And without needing the firework, the drama, and the miracles, we read about it, and we recognize the power that Jesus holds. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Maybe you're not actively rejecting Jesus. And maybe you're not actively accepting him. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle and you're not quite sure what to make of Jesus Christ. But I think he either is who he says he is or he's a total madman. I always get surprised by people who say, Jesus Christ, yeah, I think it's historical. I think he existed. I think he's a really good guy. He talked a lot about peace and love. We should listen to his teachings. We should follow what he says about this, that, and the other thing, but not those bits because the world has moved on. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, yeah, I mean, he was okay, but son of God, no, I don't think he was that. How can you be in that position? How can you think he's a good guy if all throughout his life he claimed to be the son of God and you deem that to be a lie? He either is who he says he is, or he's a total madman. Folks, today I want to encourage you to investigate this. Find out how credible Jesus Christ is and put your trust in him. He is the one true savior. He's the only one who can rescue you and make a way for you to be free from sin and sorrow danger and anxiety and turmoil and death. He's the only one who can make a way for you to be with God. And there's so much hope that that can bring to us now. You guys are facing the most difficult world that I think has ever existed. And in 10 years time, it'll be more difficult. In 20 years, it'll be even more difficult. There's so, there are so many struggles in life. There's so much depression. There's so much suicide. There's so much anxiety and pain. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you an answer that's beyond that. Doesn't mean that it'll completely fix straight away. It doesn't mean that all our troubles will go away, but it lifts your head. The fact that Jesus Christ suffered, he knows what it's like. But the fact that he rose again, means that we can lift our heads and have hope of being united with him. Guys, tonight I want you to remember that Jesus walked away from death through a crowd because it wasn't the right time. And after that, he went on to live a perfect life so that he would be enough, so that he would be perfect, and so that he could walk through another crowd carrying his cross and walking towards death to die for you and for you and for you and for you and for me. He did that for you to make a way for you to be with God and to make a way for you to have life everlasting and life in all its fullness. Let's pray.